Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What do you do when you reach the crossroads at life or in life? And when that intersection comes at the point of a tragedy, My conversation today with Damon Parker focuses on his personal story of tragedy, focusing on the process and finding joy in the transformation. Damon shares a story about how a friend committed suicide, which led to the foundation or the creation of the Jones Project. The Jones Project is a nonprofit where Damon is executive director and speaks to kids in high schools and middle school settings about mental health. Damon shares his own struggle with mental health and how he was able to overcome it and still has a main focus on it today. But I think the point of this conversation is that mental health is important and it begins with awareness. Awareness as parents, as teacher, as friends, as kids. I think the overarching theme of this conversation, besides awareness, is being there for your family, for your kids, for your friends, for each other. And when you see something that's not right, then speak up, as difficult as that may be. Please enjoy my conversation with Damon Parker. Well, Damon Parker, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul. Appreciate it. Why don't you walk us through, uh, Damon, who you are and what you do now, and then we're going to really get into these big life transitions that that you've been through and then talk about our main topic of, of our conversation, which is going to be around kids and mental health. I am a, a professional speaker and a, a coach and the executive director of the Jones Project, which is a... 501c3 nonprofit that's focused on teen mental health and suicide prevention. And my wife, Lindsay, and I, and our two beautiful kids who are twins, we live in Topeka, Kansas. So I'm glad you throw that out because I know that there's a lot of families that that listen that have multiples, whether they're you know twins like you have or or triplets like I have, which you mentioned, and and I've read this in your bio and I've I've listened to a few of your speeches. You were a kindergarten teacher. Correct. How did you get into education and specifically kindergarten? And then how did you end up transitioning into this nonprofit, the Jones Project that you created? I come from a, a long line of teachers. So it's, it's kind of in our DNA. And when I was going to Kansas State University, it came time to do our, our student teaching. And I wanted to be in, in sixth grade. I got a, uh, my degree in elementary education. 
and all the sixth grade slots were full and I got stuck in kindergarten. And like, it was not something that I wanted to do. I was not prepared for five-year-olds. And then I went and did that for a semester and just absolutely fell in love with it. Anybody out there that's, that's thinking about going into education or even if you're in education, everybody needs to spend at least a year in the kindergarten classroom because there's, there's no better way to find out about yourself as a teacher. Uh, plus, there are sacks there and you get to go to recess. So that's cool. I really enjoyed what I was doing there. But when it, when it comes to jobs, I've kind of always had the seven-year itch. You know, it's, and I think part of that is being someone that's always kind of looking ahead to see, all right, what's next? How can we, how can we grow as, a, as an individual? How can we add more value to the lives of other people? You know, around year, year eight, year nine, I didn't have any kind of clear vision on what that next step was going to be. And then in a, a weird confluence of events, my brother-in-law was doing a, a renovation at Washburn Girl High School, which is in Topeka, Kansas. And he found out uh, through word of mouth that they were looking for a wrestling coach. And I have a, a strong wrestling background, did it in college uh, for a year before I promptly failed out and had to come back home. But, uh, but yeah, I was, a, I was a wrestler. And it was like I'd been coaching a youth wrestling team at the time. And it was like, you know what, let's throw our, our hat in the ring and see if, if this thing might pan out or at least go have the discussion and went and interviewed and the interview went pretty well. And they, they called back and they, they offered me the position. They said, you know, are you certified to teach high school? And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, how soon can you be? And I was like, let me get back to you. Look and see that there is a, a praxis test that coming Saturday, this was a Monday when they called. And so looking at that praxis test, I, I have no idea how it works now because I was, you know, 15 years ago, but if you pass this test, you had a college degree, but essentially you could become certified. And so I looked at it and I called, called the athletic director back and I was like, give me six days. And so took the rest of that week off from work and learned in six, six days, what you would learn in a four-year undergraduate degree in secondary education and went and passed that test and then moved on to Washington High School. So, you know, I taught one year I was teaching five and six year olds. And then three months later I was teaching 17 and 18 year olds. And what kind of adjustment was that demon? I mean, like, that's like, <laughs> you know, that's it's going from like zero to triplets or twins pretty fast. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's really not that dissimilar it, as long as you're, you're decent with, with classroom management and it doesn't matter. I, I think this is a huge, a huge tip for any aspiring teachers out there is it doesn't matter if you're teaching five-year-olds or if you're teaching high schoolers or college kids or teaching your coworkers something. Treat them like human beings. Like value their opinions, talk to them like they're actual people and not your subservient students. And everything goes pretty well. Now with the high school kids, like, yeah, they'll they'll cuss a little bit more in class than a five-year-old will, but they also get your jokes. So, you know, there's a there's some benefit and drawback to both. But but I loved it and took over coaching uh coaching that that wrestling team and teaching high school PE. And then uh, our wrestling team, we, we were not very good, at least at the beginning. Like my first year as, as coach there, we finished 31st out of 32 teams. And I tell people the only team that we beat that year to stay out of the cellar didn't qualify anybody for state that year. So we didn't, we didn't actually beat a single team that had a human being on the roster. And then over the course of the next decade, we kind of slowly built this thing. And I just spent, every waking hour and a lot of hours that I shouldn't have been awake, just poured my soul into this thing right when we had twins. And like course, right at the great beginning, timing. yeah, that, that, and we, my wife and I, like we, we struggled to, to have kids for a long time, go through IVF. And then all of a sudden like, boom, we got twins. Yep. And 
that was a really difficult time in our life that first year because my son, he was perfect health. My daughter, she didn't eat for the first year of her life. She just had a food aversion. And so we had to put this NG tube up her nose and feed her. And then she would regurgitate. We'd have to put this tube back in her nose. And we were basically awake for a year. And, and that was really, really difficult. But then, and also I was coaching the worst wrestling team in the state of Kansas at the time. And so it was like, man, we have made a terrible mistake. But then we started seeing some progress. And then I think around the 11 month mark, my daughter was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to eat now. And then she's totally fine. Like it has never had a problem since she's in the gifted program. She's a wrestler herself and is a state placer. Like everything's going great. So we have no idea what caused it, but, uh, but thankfully it is in the past. And so we built up this wrestling team, continued to teach. And then along the way, we created a girls only wrestling team, which just so happens to be the largest girls wrestling team on earth. And that's not hyperbole. It, it actually is. And in 2021, we became the, the first team in the history of the United States of America to win a large class of boys and girls wrestling state championship in the same season. And so along with that kind of rags to riches and then all the, the positive press, like 2019 was when we started that girls program. Oh, so right before COVID. Right. We started 2019, like day one, we had 62 girls in the matter. We, How did you get that many girls interested in wrestling? Man, it's like, again, talking to them like they're human beings. And like there's girls wrestling is the, the fastest growing sport in the world, um, regardless of, of age, regardless of season. Like it, girls wrestling is just exploding across the country. And I saw that, that this was going to happen because you looked at other states that had sanctioned before us and you saw the, just the explosion of growth within participation numbers. And I was like, this is going to happen in Kansas too. Let's get on the front end of it and hopefully build a big enough lead that by the time everybody else realizes, oh, this isn't a fad, we'll be so far ahead, it's going to take everybody years to catch up. And essentially, that's what happened. Uh, we won that initial state championship, and then shortly thereafter, everything gets shut down for, for COVID. I think it was two weeks after we won that first state championship. Then fast forward a couple of years, and in 2021, we became the first team to win boys and girls state in the same year. And then I promptly quit. I stopped coaching the boys wrestling team, which raised a whole lot of eyebrows. And I, I continued coaching the girls team. And at the time I told everybody, you know, I, I cited, if I remember correctly, health issues. Then shortly thereafter, a coworker of my wife named Josh Jones, who was a, a leader here at the in the Topeka community. He, you know, was worked at this company, Advisors Excel, just fantastically successful guy, universally loved, life of the party, healthy, happy family. He died by suicide on March 5th of 2021. And I had never met Josh. The first time that I, I was ever in the same room with him was at his funeral. But that was kind of my, my moment of clarity, that if I didn't change something in my life and make some significant life changes, then... It was only a matter of time until I was probably going to end up in the same position. What does comprehensive financial planning even mean? At Tama Capital, it means a family office where lifestyle planning such as retirement, college, risk management, portfolio management, and tax prep and planning are all under one umbrella. But it goes beyond numbers. 
We focus just as much on the emotional side of financial planning as we do the financial side. This means taking you through a process of identifying your family purpose that is both financial and personal. We get you. We understand your challenges of building a family, business or career, and a healthy life. We have a devotion to wealth planning for families like yours because we are you. Learn more at TamaCapital.com. It was only a matter of time until I was probably going to end up in the same position. Because of that, I started going to seek the help that I needed that I had resisted for so many years, um, started to make some, some personal progress. And then I honestly don't remember exactly how it got started, but Cody Foster, who's the founder of that company, he and I started connecting. We started going out to some lunches. I, I kind of told him my story. and He was like, man, this story is, is too good to keep to yourself. I mean, we need to find a way to share this if you're, if you're comfortable with it. And so then there was a, an article that came out on May 16th of 2021 that kind of highlighted my, my story. And it came out on Mother's Day, which is just wonderful. Sorry, Mom. It then gained a lot of national traction, got picked up by a ton of newspapers around the country, got picked up by Yahoo Sports, and, and just kind of exploded. And then Cody and I got together, and it was like, you know what? We, we've got some momentum here. We could use this to do something that no one's ever done before. And Cody says, you know, I'm thinking about starting this, this nonprofit, and I would like you to be the executive director. And I was like, you know what, hold that thought, we're at a restroom. Hold that thought for a minute, I gotta go use the restroom. And I go to the restroom and I pull out my phone and I Google, what is an executive director of a nonprofit? Because <laughs> like, I knew that nonprofits existed, but like I'd spent my entire life in education, knew nothing about them, and, or how they operated, what an executive director was. And, so after reading for a minute or so, come back and I'm like, I think this is something that we can do. And I was like, so what's your vision for this? And essentially Cody wanted to utilize the skills that I have. Like I'm not very good at a whole lot of things, but I'm really good at two or three things. And, and a couple of those are connecting with kids and speaking on stage. For the previous six, seven years that I'd been teaching, I intentionally didn't coach anything in the spring so that I could I could do professional speaking during that time to kind of supplement the teaching hour because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Paul, but teachers don't get paid really well. Right. So, yeah. Unfortunately, right. that is uh, that is a not a a very high well high, high paying uh, profession. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. We we took that leap of faith to to again. I'm always trying to look at you know how how can we add value to the lives of these people? Like whether it's you know adding value as a kindergarten teacher, or adding value as a coach, or as a teacher, or as a speaker, and it's like this is an opportunity for us to to scale our reach. And so what I do now as the executive director of this nonprofit is I travel around the state of Kansas and I go to middle schools and high schools and and basically give a an hour-long keynote presentation, like the same thing that you know we would charge a whole lot of money for if we were doing it in the private sector. And we do it for free. And we're a hundred percent donation based. And the reason is like with with what we would charge as a, as a professional speaker in that environment, schools couldn't afford us. And it's really difficult for schools with very limited budgets to, to bring in a speaker to, to spread whatever that, that message may be. And so, you know, we just got to thinking everyone can afford free. And so that's what we do. And we started that uh, this last June, June of 2022. And I kind of spent the summer doing content development, rehearsals, all that kind of stuff. And then 
hit the ground running in August. So we thought it would be a slow burn where we get, you know, maybe 20, 25 engagements. We had over 80 engagements in nine months, talked to over 30,000 kids. And it was just wow. one of those things. It was like once it got out there. And, and the crazy thing about it is we didn't do a single cold call. Like there's, there's an article that came out in June that was talking about, or I'm sorry, July of 22, that was talking about what we were going to be doing. And an old wrestling contact who's now a principal at Council Grove High School, he called me and said, hey, you'd like to have it come out at the beginning of the year. And then administrators talked to each other. And so then all of a sudden we're, you know, just traveling all over the state and we're on the road three, four, sometimes five times a week and just hitting as many kids as we possibly can. And it's, we have no idea what it's going to look like five years from now, but, but right now there is, there's really tangible evidence that we're making a huge impact. And Man, it was, I'm, I'm very glad that we took the leap that we did because it would have been very easy to do what was comfortable for so many years. Like I was a damn good teacher. And I can, I still have the opportunity to coach our girls wrestling program. And it would have been really easy to just continue to do what I did for the next 20 years, ride that into retirement and, and call it a day, get my little Apple pin to put on my lapel. But it, it was one of those things where we were kicking it back and forth. I was just going to ask you that. Like, what was the conversation like with your wife when Cody first approached you with this? And, and then, then the wheels started turning. Like, what was, what was that conversation with your wife like? There were a lot of conversations. I don't, I don't remember how many and over how long, but uh, again, it's, it's really tough to leave something that you're really good at and you make a comfortable living. So like, you know, usually when people leave education, it's because they've reached retirement age or because they're fed up with the system or parents or what have you. I was neither of those. I love the school that I worked in. I love the kids that I worked with. And I love what I did. So that was a really tough decision, but ultimately it came down to, you know, with the speaking stuff that I'd done for, for several years, it got to the point where from a financial perspective, it didn't really make sense for me to continue to teach, right? Because, you know, with the, the potential to make a month's worth of salary in 60 minutes, it's like, why, why would we continue to do this? Well, it's because we're making a difference and, you know, we're, we're having an impact on kids' lives, which is why we did it. And then Lindsay eventually, I think the way she put it was, you know, you've had, had one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock for a long time. It's time to make a decision one way or another. And, and she's just, I, I'm so lucky that she's my life partner because she just gives me tremendous advice and supports me in whichever direction I choose to go. She's like, I don't care if you stay on the dock or if you get on the boat, but we need to make a decision one way or the other. And so, you know, it's, there are very few opportunities that you have in life to really create something new. And, you know, it's, I liken it to, if you remember that movie, The Matrix, there's a part where Trinity says to, to Neo, you know, nobody's ever done anything like this before. And Neo says back to her, that's exactly why it's going to work. And, you know, in, in my experience and, and research, like we haven't found anybody that's doing stuff exactly the way that we're doing it right now. And I think that's why it's been such a big success so far. So my career mentor, Camille Jane, is the one that created the name Tama. So Tama represents the first, if you take the first initial of Teresa and my four kids, that's how you get Tama. So there's Teresa, okay. Aiden, Madison, Mackenzie, and Andrew. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that Camille put the T first because she's really the, the, the heart and soul of this thing. So when you had mentioned identifying or figuring out that that something wasn't quite right with, with you and, and your, your mental health. Did you see signs, Damon? Like walk us through what that was like, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. When uh, 
I, I knew for a long time that, that something wasn't right. And the way I explain it to kids when I go out of the schools is back in 1993, when I first started really noticing this, nobody talked, especially the kids, or I guess nobody talked to kids about it, or at least I wasn't paying attention if they did. So I, uh, nobody said the word depression. It wasn't a thing people talked about. I just, it felt like everything was going great. And then all of a sudden I would just kind of get blindsided by this wave of negative emotion. And sometimes that wave would last for an afternoon and sometimes it would last for a month. But then as I got older and started like keeping my ears open and my eyes open, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's what's going on here. But the problem was you spend so many years, spend so many years crafting this public facing image of this person that is just unflappable, that uh, doesn't have any character flaws or, or is someone that handles every situation correctly that you don't want to be authentic and you don't want to talk to people about what's really going on in your life. And so, you know, I kept it a secret from everyone and that everyone includes Lindsay, like until Josh's funeral, like I had never really mentioned it to her before, you know, on the days when I wasn't wanting to get out of bed and all that kind of stuff. Like, Oh, I'm sick today. You know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, there were some substance abuse issues that, that definitely played in there as well. And I just kind of buried myself in my work and, it's a double-edged sword, man. And part of the reason I've been successful with a lot of the stuff that I've done is because I'm willing to do some things that other people aren't willing to do. But at the same time, I, I just completely ignored that balance that I should have there and burned the candle at both ends for way too long. And, you know, when we, when we went to Josh's funeral and then afterwards I came clean again, like my wife saved my life, man. Like she, we had this long conversation. It was it was pouring rain on the day of that funeral. And like we had that conversation in the car before we left the church parking lot. And it was one of the more difficult conversations I've ever had in my life. And she objectively listened. And then uh, rather than why were you hiding this from me for so long? Like, why didn't you tell me about this? It was like, okay, let's come up with a plan. And that's it. And she's a coach too. She's my head assistant coach for the girls wrestling team. And so that's what we did. We came up with a plan and, it showed itself in different ways throughout the years, but uh, I would say the main thing were being withdrawn from my family, being withdrawn from social settings, and and again the substance abuse stuff that that played a large role. Uh, and did you have the? Did you and Lindsay already had the twins at this point? We did, yes. Uh, so this was in 2021. So our twins would have been 10 years old at that point. Okay. Uh, sorry, nine years old. Yeah. I talk to people about it sometimes, and they say, you know how in the world could you have kept this a secret from your wife? Like the person that you love more than anybody that sees you every single day that you live with, she would have noticed, she would have been able to tell that something was going on. And that's, that's just not the case. And because like people that are in my situation and, and again, I'm, I'm an expert, but only in my own experiences. So maybe this isn't the truth for everybody else, but people in my situation, I think become very good at reading social cues and we, we understand what other people want to hear. We understand what they don't want to hear and we act accordingly so that we can keep our secrets. You know, somebody asks you, you know, how are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, and you get really good at putting that smile on. Then you know that you're not going to have to have that difficult conversation. Right. And and I got very, very good at, at keeping that secret, just like a lot of people in my position do. So that seems like that'd be a really, really heavy weight to carry. It was. Once I told Lindsay and I started going in and seeing a therapist, it was like I sat down that big bag bag of bricks and BS that I've been carrying around for 
who knows how many years. And I just remember thinking to myself, it's like, who were you carrying that around for? Like, what was the point of that? Because especially like after that article comes out and now it's like, I'm an open book, man. Like anybody asks me a question, it's like, it's already all out there. Like I'll tell you whatever. Now that all of my kids that I work with know that, like I've become an infinitely better coach because now my kids see me as a real human being. I think. Right. And, and someone that they can approach when they're dealing with certain things and, and not someone that's like, oh, he's, everything's great in his life. So we can't go talk to him about whatever. We need to find somebody else that's got some flaws. Like now that I have very public facing visible flaws. And I think that's made me more approachable. It's made me more empathetic as a coach. And it was one of the harder decisions I've ever had to make to, to come clean, not just come clean to my wife, talk about it, get help quietly, but to do it so publicly. That was a very difficult decision, but in retrospect, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah, I think that's the challenge that I'm the right word, Damon. Like, usually most people are doing that in private, you know, with, with their spouse, their partner, their family. You're out in the open publicly getting that out. That, that had to be, you know, infinitely more challenging to do that way. But on the same spectrum, I got to believe that you know, those kids of yours that you've had and influenced and touched on, you know, touched their lives. Like that's something they're, they're never going to forget and carry that with them forever. That's the hope. Yeah. And there's uh, another guy that advised me. So outside of Cody, a guy named Bill Kentling that was just enormously helpful in this process. He, he's been around for a long time. He's seen it all. And he was like, you know, if you're going to do this, if we're going to, or if they're going to write this article, you need to understand that like, when you go to the grocery store, people are going to look at you different. And, you know, that's once that horse is out of the barn, there's no putting it back in there. Uh, So you need to know that and be aware of it before going in. And, you know, we thought that the, it it was the old make a list of pros and cons. And it's, you know, the the pros definitely outweighed the cons. It's, and we, we just got to think about it. It's like, if, if this, this article or whatever comes of it, if that keeps one kid around that was not going to stay around Otherwise, like that's way more valuable than my ego. And so we should probably do this thing. And yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm very grateful that we did. So going back to your teaching experience, especially at the high school level, like as a teacher, are you seeing signs in kids that you were teaching that, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. There's a flag here, you know, whether it's yellow or red, doesn't matter that you're picking up on that says, okay, something's just not right. And then you know, what what were are those and then how do they get communicated like to a parent yeah that's 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 a tricky one man and what i always tell folks is i'm not a mental health professional you know i'm just, i'm an old pe teacher that happens to be pretty good with the microphone that's it you know uh, but at the same time i have that lived experience and so the best way to explain it to someone from from my perspective anyway is i'll ask him you know what kind of car do you drive? Like, what's the year to make the model? Well, I drive a 2018 Ford Fusion. It's like, okay, I bet before you bought that 2018 Ford Fusion, you probably never noticed a single one of those on the road. It's a pretty nondescript car. Okay, yeah. And it's like, okay, I bet after you bought that 2018 Ford Fusion, you started seeing 2018 Ford Fusions everywhere, right? Because we've become more attuned to it. And I think mental health disorders are kind of the same way. If you've struggled with it, then it becomes very easy to see it in other people. So I've had a good eye for it, I guess is how I would say that, which is part of the reason, like, you know, when it, when it came time to like 
I, I need to scale back because like when we were coaching boys and girls wrestling, it was boys practice from 315 to 515. And then we had so many girls, we couldn't practice them at the same time. So uh, then girls would practice from 530 to 730. And then I would do all the administrative coaching type stuff and then, you know, get home by nine o'clock. The kids are already asleep in bed. And it's like, man, I'm missing every year, four months of my child, my kid's childhood. And that was after you taught for a full day. Right. And it was like, so I, you know, it was 16 hour days for four months. And it was like, I have to scale back from something. And it was really, really tough to leave those boys. You know, I'd had for with some of them, I had worked with since they were five years old, you know, now they're going to be seniors in high school. And then I had to, to leave. But at the same time, it was, I was looking at the boys and looking at the girls and I was like, with the boys team, we, we certainly had some mental health disorders in there. Um, with the girls team, it was, it was much more prevalent. And so it was like the girls squad still needs us more than the boys squad does. And, and plus it was something that I could do together with my wife. Like how many people get to work their dream job and sit right next to the love of their life while they do it. Like it's, it's pretty cool. But uh, so that's why we stuck with the girls, but to parents out there, I would say like, start looking for changes in behavior. You know, if your kid's usually pretty well kept and then all of a sudden they, they stop bathing, they wear the same clothes multiple days in a row. If you see them withdrawing from, from activities that they usually enjoy doing, you know, all of a sudden they're quitting sports that they've done for, for 10 years that last year they loved. And now all of a sudden they don't, they're withdrawing from their friends and, and not spending time with them. Like, those are some of the warning signs. And a, a great resource that I always tell parents to check out is there's a free app called A Friend Asks. And when you go on there, it's the, the app was designed for for kids, for like high schoolers. So if you got a friend you're worried about, you can basically click on this button that says how to help a friend. And it gives you a flowchart, essentially, of warning signs, things that you should do based on, you know, what behaviors they're exhibiting. But it works great for parents as well. So I would recommend everybody out there listening, press pause. If you got a person in your life, which we all do, like kid, adult, whatever, press pause, go download a friend asks. They're not paying me to say this or anything. Like I said, it's a free free app, but it's it's a great resource. And when I talk to kids about this, when I'm out in school, I tell them to download this app. And if it's like, oh, well, coach, I'll have a friend that I'm worried about. It's like, oh, that's great. Three years from now, you might. You know, five years from now, you might. You might and, and you'll want to know how to navigate that situation. So... You know, you put this thing on your phone, then and you just play with the app for a day. Then it gives you an idea of things that you should be looking out for and, and people that are close to you. And then it'll give you ideas. Like if you if you do have that person, you know, I have ideas on what you should do to help remedy that situation. So we'll definitely put a link in the show notes to to that app. How do you define mental health, Damon? It's one of those things that it's so difficult to diagnose because it's like you you break your arm, you go into the ER, they give you an X-ray, and they're like, "Yep, it's broken." Like this is how we treat a broken arm, and you'll be better in eight weeks. You know, uh, mental health disorders don't really work that way. It's nothing that shows up on a CAT scan or on an X-ray, and there's not a magic pill that will fix it. It, it really does, like you said, vary by the person, and you know, I think for me, being mentally healthy is being able to navigate your world in a way that's that's positive more often than not. That, that's it. And and again, that's just my own lived experience. But because like, we're all going to have down days. And if you have a down day or two, that doesn't mean that, you know, I have depression. That's not it. But like if it's if it's a consistent, never-ending thing to where you just seem like you're in this 
this hole and every time you try to climb out the clump of grass and grab dog slips and you fall back down again like you make a little bit of progress then you back down like i i think that's it man and and again there are so many different ways that it shows itself whether it's depression anxiety panic disorder schizophrenia you know there's so many different things that it's really difficult to give one clear definition on what that is i'm sure you can look it up in the dictionary but but that's not going to encompass everything one of the, the things that you had mentioned early on in our conversation was when you guys launched the Jones Project, I think you mentioned like you, you'd be happy if there was like 20, 25 schools that ended up you know signing on and then there was like 80 plus. Why is there such an increased amount of kids dealing with mental health issues today? Do you have any thoughts around that? I do. Um, and everybody has their own theories. A long time ago, I was listening to Grant Baldwin's podcast. He he runs something called the Speaker Lab. It was when I was at the beginning of my professional speaking career. And you know, he said on I can't remember if it was him or one of his guests, but he said, Don't don't ever spend a dime on marketing and all that kind of stuff. Instead, spend all of your time and your energy on your product. Like become a really great speaker. And when you go out there and kill it on stage, there will always be two people in the audience that are your leads for your next speaking gig. And and I found that to be pretty true. And I think it's the same thing on this end. You know, I really put my heart into putting out a product that's not just going to be informative for kids, but it's going to inspire them to to make necessary changes in their life if need be. And if not, show empathy for people who are going through something that they don't understand. And and delivering that, like after my my years of working with high school kids, like I know what hits with them and what doesn't. And so, you know, if we can go give a great, inspiring presentation that that not only like gets them ready to move on something, but at the same time hits in an area of need that far too many schools aren't addressing. I mean, that's a recipe for success. And and we found that to be true. You know, one speech kind of led to three more, which led to three more. And then we, you know, before Christmas break, we were booked out for the remainder of the year and now we're booking well in the next year. So so that's kind of how this thing this thing took off. And I'm sorry, could you ask me the second part of that question again? Yeah. You know, what are what are your thoughts or theory on especially coming from a teaching perspective, why the proliferation, that's the word I wanted to use, in kids and mental health? Uh, I, I think there are several things. And, and again, in my experience, these are probably the two that are, that are the most prevalent with the people that I've worked with. And the first one's sitting right next to me here. That's okay? selfless. Uh, and I think a big part of the reason there is... These things can be used for good or evil. But if you put a cell phone in a kid's hand without very clear parameters and accountability, it is going to be used for evil far more often than not. And not intentionally. Like kids aren't trying to be malicious with it. But just by having a, a TikTok or Instagram profile and just by scrolling there, like all you are doing is subjecting yourself to legions of influencers who are trying to make you feel less than perfect every time you log on. And kids see enough of that and, and have this comparison to, to these unattainable things. And it's something that the kids just can't avoid. And then when you fold in on top of that cyberbullying and, and you know, exclusionary things that happen with cell phones, I think that is a huge driving force in the mental health epidemic that we're going through right now. And I think quite honestly, and I'm guilty of this too, but it's parents. I I think parents play a huge role in this because 
I am firmly convinced that the key to happiness in life is growth and progress. When you make progress towards a goal, that's when you're happy. It's not when you attain the goal. Because more often than not, you attain the goal and immediately you regress if you haven't set up something new to go for. Uh, That's why people gain back the weight. That's why when the marathon is done, you fall out of shape again and you're back on the couch. It's because we're no longer making progress towards goals. And as parents, when we remove every obstacle possible for kids, then they do not have that opportunity for growth. They do not have that opportunity for progress, to work towards something, to figure out how to solve problems on their own. And when they don't have to solve problems on their own, and then all of a sudden they're put in a situation where they have to solve a problem, but they don't have any problems solving skills, then I think that absolutely is a contributor to our our mental health crisis that we have going on. So parents out there that are listening, let your kids fail, man. Put them in a position to where they're going to get an F on a test because they didn't do something. Put them in a position where they don't get to eat lunch because they left their lunch at home. Don't drive it up there and drop it off for them. Um, Make them go to practice without their football cleats because they left them at home. Don't make a special trip up there. Have them develop that kind of accountability early on so that later on in life when things get really tough, they've got the skills that they need to manage those situations. So, so yeah, I think the, the two biggest contributing factors that I see on a daily basis are those hunks of plastic and metal that we carry around in our pocket and the fact that the kids aren't put in a position where they have to learn how to solve problems at a young age. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate on the cell phone. Um, it's a, I, I'd say a love-hate relationship, but I mostly err on the, I really hate those damn things. Right. Like, it's one thing to be able to know where your kid is at, which obviously is important these days. You know, every generation is going to be a little different. And obviously, you know, you know, this, this generation now, our kids, you know, same thing that makes it definitely more challenging because especially like, you know, when you have different philosophies between your wife or spouse or partner, that can create friction on how you want to parent one style, if you will, versus another. You know, I think the, the thing that you also mentioned too, and I deal with this a lot with families that I work with and probably almost every advisor in the country does as well is from a social media standpoint, the constant, pardon the pun, but or phrase, but keeping up with the Joneses, everybody wants to be able to know how they're doing versus somebody else versus simply running your own race. And that's something I really instill in the people that I work with, my families at Tama, uh, people that I talk to is it, it's hard to do uh, because you have these outside influences. And the more that you can shut those down and, and limit that noise, the better off you are because going back to a point that I think is that you made, which is just incredible is when we have a goal and we achieve that goal, it wasn't the goal that was, is the great thing. It was the journey and getting there. And I struggle with this, you know, on my own is defining what is enough, what is enough, whether personally, financially. And part of that is being on this journey of life and whatever transition you may be going through or on and getting the most out of it. Yeah, man. When I look back at, at the happiest times that I've had in my life, it was, you know, when there was real tangible progress that you could look at on a daily basis. The, the way I was liking it to people is, you know, I, earlier on in my coaching career, I spent, I spent a lot of time chasing trophies. It was like, okay, well, we finished 31st out of 32 teams at state this year. What's next? Next year we finished 23rd. It's like, oh, okay, we're making progress. And then we just keep climbing this ladder. And then in 2020, we won that, the first state championship in school history, that inaugural year of girls wrestling. 
you know, like that, that was cool. But if you make it about, about championships or achievements, like tell younger coaches, like, man, if you make it about championships, you will never, ever be happy regardless of how many you win. Instead, you focus on relationships and you focus on the journey. And if you do that, then you're going to create those kind of memories that, that you'll remember on your deathbed. And that's how you make a real difference in other people's lives, which in turn is what gives you happiness. So, so I, I totally agree, man. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey and the things you learn along the way. Well, Damon, I could probably keep you here for a whole nother hour, but um, let me, let me get to the closing question that I, that I ask all my guests, which is what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh my gosh. Uh, again, it's that journey, man. Like, Watching, watching your kids transform from these little balls of goo that refuse to eat for a year into like just little mini versions of not, not necessarily myself, but like seeing pieces of myself and pieces of my wife show up in both kids, you know, cause they're identical to, or sorry, they're not identical twins, they're fraternal twin, boy and a girl. They were born two minutes apart and could not be more different. And we absolutely love that about it. And like my son, like he's always been just math genius. Like I couldn't help him with math homework after about fourth grade. And we just, like he was never a sports kid, which is totally fine. Like just because I'm a sports guy doesn't mean that he has to be. Uh, but then all of a sudden one day he's like, hey, dad, I want to play soccer. Goes out and he becomes like probably the best soccer player on his team. And like just becomes really motivated. I'm like watching him turn from this boy into a man that has different interests, different things that he he wants to go after in his life and he's figured himself out. My daughter's the same way, man. Like watching, watching her go to a voice lesson or watching her just kill it at a piano lesson or a piano recital. And then watching her throw somebody in a headlock during a wrestling match. Like just these things that, that you are just so overjoyed for their success and to see all their hard work pay off. It's a, it's a trip, man. And I don't know what I'm going to do when the house is empty because it has been such a fun adventure for the last 11 years and we got seven left. So we're going to enjoy the hell out. Well, from, from what I've, I've been told by families I've worked with for a, a number of years, it's another very underestimated, underrated transition. So, but like you said, you've got seven years to enjoy the journey and prepare for it. So, um, Damon, I can't thank you enough for being on the, on the emotional balance sheet podcast, the jonesproject.org right? That's the site. Correct. So we'll make sure that we have a link to that. We'll also link to that a friend ask app as well, but it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you, uh, you know, here in the uh, near future again to see how you guys keep progressing and, and moving on your guys' journey. Right on, man. Thanks for having me on. I come back anytime. This is awesome. My big takeaway from my conversation with Damon is this. Enjoy the journey, not necessarily the end result. It's something I talk a lot about with my families at Tama. I think that we have this overarching drive to create objectives and plan our future, which is great. We need to do that. But we also need to enjoy the middle, the journey. And I think as parents, that's really critical because we can overlook these great years that we spend with them, although they can be extremely hard. And that's what Damon points out as well, that you know, if you're looking to create those kinds of memories that you'll remember on your deathbed, that's what's going to make a real difference in somebody's life. Not necessarily 
winning the state championship like one of his girls wrestling teams did. So that's my big takeaway. Focus on the journey, not just the outcomes. Do you know anyone else that would enjoy a conversation like this? Because if you do, could you do me a huge favor? It's actually going to help both of us. Could you share this conversation with someone? They will think you're great because you've just given them this terrific conversation to listen to. And it helps me grow my audience. Or you could tell them to go to TamaCapital.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Podcast.